All right, all right. Welcome to Dram Talk, pour a dram, take a seat, and let's talk whiskey. I'm Brad. And I'm Daniel. And today we are going to take a look back on our own whiskey journeys and I guess give you guys an inf- some informed opinions on how we got here, uh, useful tips we've found along the way, pitfalls we've noted to avoid, um, common stages of the whiskey journey, or at least ones that we have been um, a part of and exposed to, and where this all can possibly lead for those next level whiskey adventurers. This whole thing came about where I was kind of just sitting down the other day and I was thinking, right, like I've had a lot of people ask me, all right, I want to start drinking whiskey. Where do I start? I don't want to just dive in and especially, you know, with things the way they are now, prices for everything have absolutely skyrocketed and whiskey is just one of those things that seems to not only have skyrocketed, not only have skyrocketed, it's gone like even beyond that. And yeah. it's just, it's almost at something, at some stages, like I know the other day I messaged you and I was like, mate, can you believe Laphroaig 10 is like $110 now? And literally when we started our whiskey journey at the very start we bought our first bottles of Lafroy 10 for 70 dollars yeah ridiculous and i think like it's kind of funny like this is a really strange timing to be putting out an episode on how to start your whiskey journey for the reasons you've mentioned it's probably one of the worst times to kind of get into it just given the is it the, in, <laughs> the increase in prices yeah. is a little bit ridiculous. And I know that's kind of the trend. Like you do see things over time increase in price and, you know, what they were five years before we got into it. To this was extent much lower. though, right. To this extent, like the, the increase and like, you know, how much of this is tied to current global circumstances and events that have been happening um, around the world whether we see it kind of level out and stabilize and drop back to what we would like kind of phrases normal. Um, it's, it's really hard to say, like, I mean, even just talking about relative prices, like I remember when I first kind of started to really like love whiskey and purchase my own bottle, like Lagavulin 16 was like a hundred bucks. Like I th- I'm pretty sure I got it on special because it was sub 100. Like it must've yeah. been on sale for yeah. like, $89 or something. And then it jumped up to above a hundred, which, you know, we can get into this a little bit later, but like for a 16 year old whiskey, some would argue that it has been underpriced. Yeah. You're like, okay, fair enough. 16 years old. You're finding your proper, I guess, resting place mm-hmm. now between everything else, but then to what it is now. And again, oh, we yeah. had this conversation the other day, yeah, $200. Like- no yeah, and you. like uh, this is like the the jump yeah. to like one thirty nine, which was which became considered the normal. Like now that is a special price. Like yeah. it's crazy that it is, given that for even forty dollars less, it was like what I was looking at spending, and I was kind of only grabbing it when it went on sale for about a hundred bucks. Um, yeah. But yes, well. I suppose a lot of the things we're touching on right now are things we may jump into in a little bit more detail under each of our kind of subcategories we've put within um, the whiskey journey um, as we see it. And now, I mean, like pretty self-evident, like a lot of this is not like the hard set rules. They're just 
points that we've noted, thoughts we've had, um, trends we see within the whiskey community around people on their whiskey journey, certain milestones, yeah. certain things um, that help people along to inform what they what is good to spend their money on just because, you know, <laughs> we're talking about price like there's no way around it some of these can be quite expensive and for certain bottles we're happy to put down x amount of dollars for others we wouldn't even consider touching it at that price so yeah we'll, we'll get into a few of these and i think we should just start this um by saying we're gonna we're gonna be having a dram over this so if you hear us sipping in the background um we're not really going to be going into too much detail about the ones we're drinking now we'll get into proper reviews um, later on in the episode, but I'm sitting here with the Jura 10-year-old. Ah, very What's nice. Jura 10. I have the Mortlack 12, the Wee Witchy. So my bottle of Mortlack 12 is nearing the end of its life. And <laughs> I feel like I've been on a mission lately to kind of kill it because it's, it seems yeah. to just be the, a dream I'm going back to. And again, this was one that I purchased really early on. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought it was pretty appropriate to have a dream of it while we're talking about this stuff. But I don't know, it's, I don't know if you remember, but just that like umami characteristic, it's so savory, so chewy, um, just a really nice little dram. So yeah, it was a meal of a whiskey. And I mean, like this is also, also, I feel like the Jura 10 is also a good whiskey to be having over this because we're going to get into some of these points now, but like this was one that surprised me how much I enjoyed it. Um, and just pure enjoyment, like to, putting all elements of quality aside um, to be able to enjoy a kind of for scotch, a relatively young age statement sitting at 40% whiskey that a lot of people consider like entry level drams. And at a certain point in the whiskey journey, many people don't touch those entry level drams because it doesn't deliver the same level of enjoyment or experience that a lot of the um, more specialized or cask strength ones do, but I found myself really enjoying the Jura 10. So it's one I'm going to be sitting back with here. And not only that, I guess before we go on, like what Jura is an island distillery, right? In yep. The regions. So, and I find the islands often get very, very slept on and people just kind of forget they're there and they don't pay them a lot of attention or pay no mind to them. And Jura is just one of those sneaky ones that just kind of is like, don't forget I'm here. And just like another <laughs> ones like Aaron as well. Just oh yeah. These distilleries that deserve so much more credit than they get. Because again, it's so easy to forget about them when you've got like the Glenfiddichs of the world, like the powerhouses just constantly in your face with the marketing and taking up all the retail and shelving space. Um, super easy to forget about them, but you shouldn't. Yeah. And I mean, like some would say their relative obscurity is what gives them their quality because they don't have such a high gems. kind of pressure on the market to be able to deliver yeah. um, a particular perceived desired palette. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I think it's even with these um, island distilleries, right? I find like that their character is so distinct as well. Maybe that's down to just adding on to what you were saying where it's, they're given that extra little bit of freedom because there's not as much pressure as say the mainstream distilleries where you can explore your character a bit more, really mm -hmm. define yourself and I find your distillery character. And I feel like this is one that like, it's, it's a whiskey that doesn't let you know its next move. Like initially on the nose, it was sweet. It was citrusy. And then like, as I'm, I'm sitting here with it in the glass, it kind of starts chucking in some spices, some savory notes and some kind of almost like umami salty 
elements to it as well. So it's like, it just keeps like throwing up different things and you're like, I, I, I don't know where to look. Like there's just too much going on. And it's a surprisingly complex nose for such a relatively low ABV whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's always nice when you find a whiskey like that. And mm-hmm. especially when, you know, going into whiskey journeys and first forays into this wonderful world of whiskey, you want to find those, you know, the bang for buck whiskeys that are giving you a really good experience, helping you develop your palate, but at the same time, not absolutely ripping your wallet to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I suppose this is kind of like, yeah, our first really whole point around it is understanding whiskey itself, like what it is, what a lot of the things on the bottles mean when it comes to the age statement, when it comes to filtration, the ABV, whether it's peated or unpeated. Um, Like there's so many different elements that I know we have mentioned this on the pod before. It can become quite overwhelming for people when they're just trying to decide what it is they want to buy or even once you start getting into it and maybe you start listening to some people either talk about what they're currently buying um and what is good and you'll often find that there are certain pockets of the community that really narrow it down to some key points like age statement chill filtration and um you know, you can throw up levels around like the other things that pop up, whether it's ABV, whether yeah. it's the natural coloring. Um, I think that for anyone who's kind of just dipping their toe into the water of whiskey now, especially within Australia, yeah. you won't see too many of these opinions around um, like age statement equaling quality. Yeah, just purely, I think purely because of what the Australian whiskey industry is doing, given how young it is and how much they're putting out in the past two and three years. Like, yeah, it's been crazy. The growth has it's, been crazy. It's really exploded. And I feel like that's kind of really shifted a lot of people's um, outlook on these kind of classical what constitutes good whiskey. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Because I know. Early on in our own journeys, when we started, you would hear like those common comments of, you know, try and get something over 10 years. So the character's there. It's had yep. some time to age. The distillery's spirit can actually talk and it's had enough time to mellow out in the cask and you can start to see some cask influence. And then you're almost influenced by that a little early on back um, back when we started. And then... You've, we've slowly start to see that um, that conversation shift um, because of the yeah. reasons you've said. And now we're seeing a lot more appreciation for non-age statements. We're, I'd say, a little more focused on what's in the bottle as opposed to what's on the label. So that's um, really, really good to see. It's giving smaller distilleries opportunities to shine, get mm-hmm. their spirit showcased and seen. Um, not only that, but it's often those smaller distilleries well, here locally in Australia anyway, they're not doing the really out there funky stuff that you're thinking, yeah, you guys are really pushing the envelope and that's really, really cool to see. And yeah, you know, you're not often going to find an Aussie whiskey with an age statement. So it's just kind of the reality, right? We get sweltering hot days, cold days, just optimum weather for absolutely ridiculous cask influence. 
and cask interaction with the liquid and the spirit. So yeah, it's maybe a recipe for disaster sometimes, but (laughs) from often than not, from what I've been having with Aussie whiskey, it's been um, pretty damn good. But yeah, look, you're starting your journey. Like Daniel mentioned, you know, age statements, there's unpeated whiskey, there's peated whiskey, there's all these different regions. If you're thinking about scotch, where exactly do you start? I think, okay, if you're starting your journey, think to yourself, what kind of alcohol do I like generally? If I like white wine and I like the sweeter notes that come with that and maybe some of the little floral characteristics and some of the oaky characteristics, then, hey, Speyside might be a pretty good damn place to start if you're going to jump straight into scotch. Go into Speyside, you know, have a crack at Balvenie, have a crack at Glenfiddich. These distilleries are relatively affordable for their core range you're going to get some good experiences there with not only i guess flavor and as well as distilleries that have found their character and their own voice and unique place in the market but going back to that age statement and it's something that you know daniel and i have mentioned before it's not the be all and end all but sometimes when you're starting out your journey starting out your collection you want to have a nice little number on the shelf to kick things off and, you know, Glenfiddichs and Balvenie, both their core range, start at the 12-year-old. So you're, you're getting a nice little A statement there for a pretty good, pretty good price. And not only that, but yeah, if you're thinking sweetness, I, I don't know, I, with Balvenie 12 and Doublewood particular, in particular, that dream there was just, man, almost like quintessential space light in my mind. So... <laughs> you can't go much wrong with that. And yeah, I don't know what you think. Is there like another direction you'd probably send someone in if their, their palate lent towards a more sweeter inclination? Well, I mean like kind of around this conversation, I think a couple of things that we should really iron out is the fact that when we're talking about the characteristics of whiskey more often than not, because it's so synonymous with scotch, it's really easy to kind of pigeonhole where people should go based on the region within Scotland. Yeah. Um, and the UK has such strict laws around what constitute their whiskey um, that you often see a lot of, like this is kind of the reason why you would have heard maybe from a lot of people kind of all throughout, not even just Scotland, but the world talking about these kind of stringent criteria around like you know look for an age statement on whiskey just because like one there's so much being pumped out of scotland so you need to know what like you need to have like some kind of barometer to know what is going to be good quality what is going to be like a good use of your money and so within that kind of scotch whiskey environment i would say that yeah you've you got a good point there around the what what alcohol do you already enjoy and then looking for similar themes around that within the whiskey like yes if if you're a more um into more of those sweeter whiskeys then yeah going the bourbon cask ones and the space side usually your best option if you enjoy red wine and those kind of dry spices look for sherry casks um peat is a really tricky one i feel like you can't it's it's almost impossible to tell whether someone will yeah. or won't like peat you can't really prepare um, someone for that <laughs> no and it's either like you either 
get thrown in the deep end and you absolutely love it, get thrown in the deep end and you hate it and it scars you for life. And yeah. I think this is why you may often see a lot of whiskies advertised as not peated because for some people they can be really um, like averse to peat and yeah. would not touch it. But from like both of us massive peat heads, a lot of the ones that like have like elements of peat or are lightly peated, it's almost akin to not having peat. Like you're not going to get that experience you get because I feel like a lot of the the exper- early experiences people have with peat are from what are termed like the heavily peated whiskies, yeah. usually from Isla. And like that is like kind of as the name implies, it's it's higher up on the scale of what yeah. peat actually, like the influence peat has in whiskey. So um <sighs> I mean, like, if you like the idea of whiskey, you like the idea of smoke, um, then you can, you're more, like, you're more than welcome to try whatever you like. But I think if you don't like that, don't be put off by other whiskies that may contain peat because you could be, um, yeah, you could be just depriving yourself of some really quality whiskies that don't really have that smack in the face peat. So, for, for regions to start in, I think you're absolutely right in that you either, if you're going in at it alone, um, just based off your own perception of what it is you think you would like, judge it based on what alcohol you already drink. Yeah. Otherwise, it's really useful to have someone who already enjoys whiskey to either talk, like if they know you, they'll probably know what you like. Yeah. Um, or they could at least provide you with a couple of different samples of theirs if they're the nice kind of friend. And then you can get an idea of what it is you actually enjoy. But I think this conversation is going to change around what types of whiskey there are out there as more and more countries start putting it out. And they're all going to be defined by different sets of criteria. So we can't say that like, you know, Tasmanian whiskey is the equivalent of space side whiskey. So if you like that, you'll like that. Like yeah. there's just too much diversity and variety in there that it's almost going to be impossible to be able to judge whether someone's going to enjoy this particular region of that one, or if they enjoy that one, they're going to enjoy that one. Like it's, it's so subjective that it makes it really hard, but it's just going to have to be a matter of like trusting the people that you know, who may be already into whiskey or, you know, trusting your own palate. <laughs> You know, I've given you a couple of bottles you could probably go and have a look at mm-hmm. in the Glenfiddich 12, the Balvenie Doublewood, which is a 12-year-old as well. Um, you know, I, you know what? You could probably even go have a crack at the dram I was drinking just before the <laughs> Mortlach 12. It's a nice little dram to get your hands on. You know, it's like 43.6%, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. It's a funky little yeah. number. Um, not just in addition to that, ABV, yeah, yeah. In addition to that, I'd probably recommend the Urban Fourteen. Um, I think oh, that's a really good whiskey. Amazing. <laughs> amazing! I didn't have to do it. Cool. I was kind of dancing around that one, and someone else mentioned it. Well, the only other person here with me, <laughs> that is. Um, so, no, yeah, Urban Fourteen, of course, has some very faint smoke notes. I know they have it there as on the note on the notes, like you know, a wasp of smoke or a wisp of smoke um, mm-hmm. on the palate. It's not, I don't find that it's really there to that extent. You can probably find it if you really, really dig, but Urban's such a good starting point, man. You you get some really, really good balanced notes and 
But the other caveat being, you know, it's 14 years old and it's also creeping up in price and you're not probably going to get it as affordable as um, the other three I've mentioned prior. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've also neglected to kind of really touch on the whole like arena of bourbon, which is almost like a whole lot of the ballpark, but yeah. But you know, as well in saying that with bourbons, like it can also be a kind of a good way to ease yourself into the wider world of whiskey. So you can start to get yourself acclimated to that higher proof, that higher ABV. Because I mean, like, what what young Australian hasn't had a JB and Coke? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, there's at least a level of familiarity, and yeah, I think one of the most surprising things is when you first jump into bourbon to really see how palatable yeah certain whiskies can be in like crazy contrast to what a lot of us may typically associate with those early um, forays into whis- into alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it can be kind of a good way to get yourself acclimated, adjusted to that higher ABV. You know, bourbon's typically at 40%, just like whiskey. You even get some in the 43s, 46s. And of course you get the ones that are barrel proof in the high fifties, yep. sixties even. So yeah, another good place to start. Of course, the notes aren't going to be um, exactly the same as you're going to get in your scotch. And a reason why it could be a good place to start is because then you're going to start to build up a familiarity with some of the other flavors within scotch because more more often than not, bourbon casks, it's where it comes from. So you're going to get yourself familiar with those spice notes, those floral notes, the sweeter notes. Because a lot of those sweeter notes come from the bourbon casks. So, yeah, yeah, you get yourself across that. Start to understand it. Get to know what you like in bourbon. Then that can maybe help you inform your decision before you go into scotch or other whiskies. So I think, yeah, that's probably another good idea when it's like starting your journey in saying, you know, we're peat heads. Let's recommend a couple peated drams that people might want to foray into. The first one for me would definitely be probably be um Ardbeg 10 just because there are other notes at play there that can mm-hmm. maybe help offset that initial jarring feeling that you might get on your palate when you first experience Pete. Yep. And for me, head first into Pete, I think if you're wanting to dive in the deep end, bang for buck, Port Charlotte, heavily peated, has to yes. be one of the best options yeah, on the good. market. That's really good. Yeah, that's, no, that's a good shout. Damn, I don't know why I didn't, I know why I didn't think of that. I got it in the cupboard as well. Damn, that's horrible. No, I, I didn't think of that. Um, Here, I, I'm just pining for it. So it's always on my mind. <laughs> at your place, Brad. And I'm like, one of these days, I'll get another drink of that. Because I think like it wasn't my first painted whiskey, but I think we touched on this again in another episode. But when I kind of really rediscovered my love of whiskey, which was during a trip to Scotland, um, at the Scotch Malt Whiskey experience, they had like the, you can try a whiskey from yep. one of the regions. And I chose Isla because at that point, like I yep. knew that I wanted a smoky whiskey and it was the Port Charlotte they had there. And I tried it and I was like, oh my God, yes, this is what I'm here yeah. for. And that just kind of sent me on like, I'm not going to say that I didn't find another piece of whiskey I loved as much, but every kind of bar I went to throughout Scotland, any stop, I would order a piece of whiskey on their menu. Um, again, to kind of compare and see like 
how this matched that first one. And that's, it's, I feel like it's, it's almost a magical thing that first yeah. experience yeah, of Peter Whiskey. It really it's is. really hard to recapture because I know I've had it at two levels. My very first Peter Whiskey experience was with Lagerbull and 16. Yeah. I I can't in good conscience recommend that at the price it's sitting yeah. at now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that's true. but it was definitely a one that that really stuck out to me, yeah. and it it's it also what pains me in seeing the price of it now, knowing that chances are I may not buy another bottle at that price. Yeah, and even looking back at like my own journey, I think like my I'd say my most core memory of like a Peter experience <laughs> would be like Ardbeg Yugdal. Oh. Yeah, that was yes. kind of like that that moment where I was like, yeah, no, I really, really like peated whiskey um, because it just, it was just like nothing I'd ever experienced when drinking whiskey. And it was and just, is- I, I didn't have words for it. And when you're kind of like, I when you're struggling to find a way to describe a whiskey, it's like, yeah, you're onto something special here. And yeah, from there, it's just, again, one of those ones where it's, always going to have a special place because it's it just kind of is one of those um i'd say those uh like one of those barn busting drams where it just kind of opened the doors to everything else for you just like open 14 is for me you know um so yeah yeah i think i think this is this is really getting into like what we really love about peated whiskey because you like could you list another non-peated whiskey that sits around this price point that has that same level of impact on you that you remember so vividly because to be honest like i have tried some good whiskeys where i've been surprised and been like oh that is really good but nothing that kind of you know creates like that core memory like Ugadal, like Port Charlotte, and like Lagavulin and Sixteen have. Yeah, no, that, that like, that's true. That's true. That's true. Like I'm trying to think now as well. Like when was like another dram that I had that was like really really good? And I'm thinking like the first things that are coming to my mind are like Octomore Eight Point One. I'm like, yeah, no, no, that's peated. Peated. Um, <laughs> so I'm just kind of struggling, and I'm thinking like, what other dreams? I'm like, Urban Twenty One. No, no, that's not journey starting whiskey that's yeah, like, no. <laughs> that, and that's yeah again that's the, to my point that that doesn't yeah. sit within this price bracket and <laughs> well out of it <laughs> well well out of it but, yeah. but even to that point like some people could be like oh this is my favorite whiskey and i love it and i'm like yeah but i don't think i have ever had a non-peated whiskey that i not just remember enjoying but remember the specific moment time and place that i was at like legit it has imprinted in my mind, like for those three whiskeys, I know exactly where I was. I know exactly my first experience with them and I can recall them so vividly. And it's that, that, that single point in time that I don't think non-peated whiskeys have ever been able to capture, at least for me. Yeah. I'm like still sitting here. I'm like trying to think. I'm like, what other ones? I'm like, Cragamore 12, 2019. No, that's peated. That's, I'm just like, I'm, I'm struggling. And I think if I was trying to come close to it, I'd say, maybe Glenallachy 15. Yeah. Because for me, I, because for me, I, I, I really loved that whiskey from the get go. And I know you hated it at the start. And it was, it was one of those. I I was just not, (laughs) I was, I was whelmed. I was, I wasn't overwhelmed. I wasn't underwhelmed. I was just like, okay, sure. Yeah. It was one of those where I was like, come on, just, 
don't ever like it, you might just give it to me so I can have the bottle. <laughs> and then you were like, oh, I retried it and I really liked it. I'm like, oh, fuck, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but th- th- like that's a good good call. But I guess almost to support my point, like that is probably one of my favorite non-peated whiskeys. Yeah. But that also wasn't sitting on the top of my mind where if yeah. you like tell me about your whiskey experiences, yeah. I jumped to those three that I've already mentioned. And yeah. Because they just like so so impactful yeah for sure for sure and i guess like talk of you know open 21 and all of that let's go on you know if you're already on your journey you know what's next for you yeah you've got you've got a few bottles we've we've given you some recommendations so you're on the road but but what next (laughs) yeah so everyone kind of has that i think as they're in the water whiskey, you kind of feel like you're in a bit of a lull. Maybe you're kind of like, where do I go next? What, like, you know, what am I doing? I want to have more experiences with whiskey. How can I do that? What can I do to expand my palate? What can I do to just pull more tasting notes from whiskey? And I think the first kind of thing you should do is start to explore different cast types. Yeah, I think... Because this, this is kind of a key point. Like, you know, for me, it was peated whiskey and anything that wasn't peated just wasn't delivering that same impact. And it wasn't until I started to look at them not just as a non-peated whiskey, yeah. but as a sherry cask or as a sherry yeah. bomb. And I was like, ooh, yes, I see your value now. Yeah. Like that is, that is like once that kind of got into my mind that, you know, it doesn't have to be petered to be enjoyable and each of them can be good within their own merits. This is where cask types came in for me. Like it's, it's hard because it's not, it's not the first, like I was well into enjoying other whiskeys before I tried this, but the Abuna was one that really got me. And I think it was almost like, I almost came into that backwards because it was the Abuna Alba that the whiskey club provided to the Australian um, market. And this was basically the Abuna, but had been aged only in the bourbon. bourbon. Yeah. So not, and so it was almost like while I enjoy sherry so much more, it was the bourbon that really got me out of that peated mindset just because of how much this was able to deliver that experience. And so I think like, yeah, cask types can really have a big impact on either getting you out of a rut or a lull and also just really kind of showcasing what casks can actually do. And this is like a really, really tricky thing. Cause like you kind of need to find that balance where you're, you're far enough into whiskey that going to a cask strength, particular cask is going to give you kind of the best elements of that cask. Yeah. That may not be visible at that, at those lower level ABVs, but you need to be somewhat, acclimatized to a higher ABV alcohol to be able to really not have your palate blown out just by the, the strength of it. Yeah. And not only that, but start delving into different countries, you know, it's Scotland isn't the only country that makes whiskey, right? So (laughs) jump into everything else, you know, there's Thailand, there's Australia, there's America, there's, you know, what else, you know, there's, we've got Israel with milk and honey, you've it's just 
so New many Zealand, yeah, so many countries Taiwan. Now. Yeah, oh, it's Taiwan. That's Kavalan, right? Yeah, yeah. So, man, just so many different countries producing whiskey now. Go out and try it, you know, because at the end of the day, climate plays such a big role in mm-hmm. the spirit that we all enjoy. And not only that, start exploring different types of whiskey. You know, rye exists. Yeah. There's some bloody good rye whiskey out there. Give it a go. Honestly, <laughs> that's that's the, those are your next steps. That's how you help develop your palate. And not only that, I think after that, what you should really be doing is go out and try the liquor that, you know, that was in those casks before the whiskey went into it. Go out there, start drinking sherry, start drinking, you know, go try Pedro Jimenez. Yep. You know, get try port, try, yeah. try some rum. Yeah. Go like out there, do that. Start to understand the flavors that are within those spirits and how they affect the whiskey. And you'll get a better appreciation for it, honestly. And not only that, but you're going to help the industry in return because the industry needs more casks. So just, yeah, it's like a, you know, give and take thing. So go out there and start drinking the the spirits or not even spirits, just the other liquor that are um, in those casks so we can get some whiskey in those casks instead. Yeah. I know I was purchasing a sort like a solid amount of whiskey mm-hmm. quite regularly but I still hadn't really scratched the surface of what else was out there. Like even if I was to turn around and look at my shelf behind me, the, the majority of it is peated whiskey. And I mean, like it's, it's pros and cons. Like one, I love peated whiskey so much and it is ones that I'm always happy to go back to. But there was a point where I'm like, it was all I was really enjoying and I wasn't enjoying enough of the other whiskeys, other types of whiskeys or other casks to go out and buy full bottles of them. Yeah. It really wasn't until I was gifted a whiskey advent calendar that the world kind of opened for me. And yeah. I know a variety of different companies offer these. And uh, I think like the selection and the quality can differ depending on how much you want to yeah, put down for course, it. But I found like that kind of taste, like the multiple tastings, like the not having to put down a whole bo- whole kind of bottles worth of money for one kind of whiskey, but yeah. putting down either an equivalent or maybe a little bit more to get a variety that like that, that was so useful to me, not just to work out what I like and what I don't like. Cause like what figuring out what I don't like was almost as valuable as f- discovering a new one that I did like. Cause then I'm like, yeah. I now know I'm not going to risk buying that. Like it may have even been something that was on my watch list and I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't mind trying this. Maybe I'll buy it if it's on sale. And I could just like, thank God I didn't because I really did not enjoy that sample. And I'm so glad I don't have the whole bottle to deal with now. So like for me, that was what I really enjoyed was those. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even have to be an advent calendar. Like there, there are a hundred different ways that you can try multiple different whiskeys for less than the cost of a bottle whether it be those whiskey kind of, I don't know if they're subscription services, but those ones that send you out a bunch of different samples. I know we've spoken about like um, whiskey loop, whiskey freaks, like there's a couple of these ones. Uh, The whiskey lists also do samples and tastings. Um, Again, like I find 
those, depending on where you go, they, they offer different benefits. Like the Whiskey Loop gives you like a whole tasting video and notes in a package. The Whiskey List through the tastings where you get to like hear from the actual um, distillers themselves or yeah. master blenders or whoever um, to talk about the whiskeys that you're trying and you get to hear like kind of from the horse's mouth what it's about. So there's a bunch of different ways. There's also like live tastings. I know yeah. in Australia here, there's a bunch of different places that put on in each of the cities, like either local tastings or maybe at the national level with the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society putting tastings on. And I know that they're accessible to non-members too. Like the price may be a little bit more per ticket than it is for members, but it's also just a way to see, you know, is this something I enjoy? Yeah, no, that that's such a good point. And, you know, you're already on the road. You've done a couple of those things, you know, you've gone, you're trying all these different casks, you're trying whiskey from different countries now. And then not only that, but you're looking at the different types of whiskey um, and you're thinking, you know, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. And you might've already been doing this, but keeping a, like a notebook for your whiskey tasting notes as you're going through such a good way to start to familiarize yourself with notes, get yeah. reference points into your mind because I, th- I often find as well, like when I put them onto page, it even just, I don't know, it just helps me kind of remember it a little better. Gives me a better reference point as opposed to just, uh, what was that again? And not only that, it's always a good thing to kind of go back to as well. Whenever I'm thinking about a dram and I go, what was that like again? And <laughs> I kind of want to go back and kind of almost have that same experience or revisit that experience without pouring that dram again. Yeah, like it's interesting because like I I did I did the same thing. Like I think I started it because you were doing it and yeah. you you had done some notes and were mentioning to me and I was like, oh, you know what, that's fine. So I, I go through these like high intensity periods of just like completely immersed in this. Like that's all I'm doing. I'm drinking whiskeys and I'm writing notes about it. And then like I, it drops off and then I just drink the whiskeys and forget about the writing of the notes. But one of the things I found really useful about those early notes that I did is like sometimes when I sit down to drink whiskey, I don't... I want to just be able to drink it and enjoy it. I don't want to try and have to analyze it. And I found for some of the ones that are on those kind of upper levels of what I've set as my kind of base acceptable average price, like obviously you've gone, I've gone above that depending on special releases or a new type of, exciting whiskey or something like buying it for an occasion or getting it for a birthday for some of these more expensive ones i've i feel bad just drinking it without really thinking too much about it and but i also don't want to have to analyze it i want to just be able to enjoy it and so it's it's fun to just have the notebook there and just be drinking it and like if maybe like something like sparks a memory like what is that and i'm like oh let me just see what i know did i write anything about this oh that's cool yes i did note that it was chestnuts that's exactly what i'm getting yeah and i think the other thing that comes with that is it gives you a good way to kind of go back and revisit a tasting note that you'd previously experienced and maybe you're not getting that anymore you're getting something a little more refined or something that's maybe a little more developed and then you're thinking okay i could see how i was getting that before but i've had a lot a little bit more whiskey now (laughs) i've tried a bunch of different liquor and I understand flavors a bit more and I can see how I got that before, but it's actually this. And then you can start to kind of gauge and see how your palate's developing as well. So it definitely helps with that. And I found that it was, it added just another little, I guess, 
element or another bit of excitement to the whiskey journey for me as well, where it's just kind of, yeah, I can just kind of sit down and have the pen and paper there. I don't have to jot a note down yeah. if I'm not, if nothing's coming to me, but if something comes to me, I'll just jot it down and it's I won't good. be, I won't be too strict or too formal about it. It's just, yeah, this reminds me of this reminds me of that. And then maybe after I have the dream, I'll try to piece it together and make it sound a little more coherent. So it's not just like bad <laughs> ramblings of some, some absolute yeah. lunatic. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a good little idea to um, jot down and have for a whiskey journey. Then after that, you're thinking, okay, I want to keep going, join a whiskey club. So many out there. Um, we've, we've spoken about them countless times on the pod. So I don't think we'll go too much into it, but whiskey clubs, communities, they're great ways to get yourself amongst like-minded people who all want to do the same thing that you want to do is to just explore whiskey. Yeah. I guess like almost also as well, um, a point of warning maybe for certain whiskey clubs and whiskey communities is you don't have like for, for, for clubs opting out is fine. Like yeah. choosing not to buy <laughs> don't a feel, particular whiskey yeah. is fine. You don't have to feel obligated to get every single month. I think that's one of the things that I, I won't say I felt prey to because I don't think I regret too many of my early purchases when yeah. I was getting almost everything just because I was trying to, because I had the, like I was designating disposable yeah. income that month but not for that, the but club. You were trying to kind of understand. Yeah, exactly. As well, you know, with whiskey. So and then, but then it, yeah. And then, but like, this is where kind of like the whiskey club and the whiskey communities, whether it be through Facebook, which is, I guess, the main one that we have here in Australia, is that there's almost that, like, like I know initially, like, the first couple of opt outs I did for the whiskey club that we were a part of, some people were posting about it on the whiskey community Facebook page. And I'm like, oh, now I feel really like I, I, I wish I didn't opt out now. I kind of really want that. And then I'm like, I feel like that, that almost carried on to the next month where I'm like, do I want to opt out of this one and miss out on a good experience? And I'm like, but there was also a lot more I wanted to buy. And I think there are certain for, at least for impressionable impulse buyers like myself, (laughs) um, there's a certain amount of self-control you need to exhibit in these whiskey communities because you can see people who are making a lot more money than you and are able to buy a lot more whiskey than you or even have larger collections because they've been doing this for a lot longer like i think like that's kind of like a just a common like a common mindset you need to apply to all social media is just to not compare yourself to what other people have and what they're doing because you like their context and situation is entirely different and just kind of taking your journey as your journey. Yeah, exactly. Buying the whiskeys you like. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, keep in mind, you know, there's probably a reason why, I mean, just keep in mind, there's a reason why we've mentioned clubs and communities this late on or a bit later in the journey and, you know, don't do what we did and jump straight into them head first as you're starting out because, <laughs> yeah, you can fall prey to a lot of that almost FOMO. You don't want to miss out. Yeah. You want to be part of the next big release. And if you're just starting your journey, you don't need to be part of the next big release. Let me tell you now, um, there's always going to be more whiskey to drink. There's always going to be more whiskey coming out. You can miss a couple bottles. Don't worry about it because you're never going to try all the whiskey in the world. Daniel and I have already accepted that very sadly. It was a pretty, pretty (laughs) sad night when we accepted that, but 
cried a little bit, but we did accept it <laughs> in the end. So you're just you're just not going to be able to do it. And that's why I think wait till you've had a little more whiskey under your belt. You know what you like. You know what you don't like before you join those clubs because then you can feel confident opting out knowing, yeah, no, I know I don't like these notes. No, yeah, it's not for me. And this goes into our last point here where if you're if you're at that point of trying to work out what you like or whether something's worth buying, like consuming whiskey content is one of the best ways to do that. Like if you're listening to this podcast, then obviously you've you're already started in that. You're already listening, you're already consuming whiskey content, but it can be the variety of them from podcasts to articles to YouTube videos to just reviews online can be a good way to get an idea of what whiskeys are good and where they're going to align with what you enjoy. But I suppose they're kind of like our key points for when you're at a later stage or when you're like well into like, yes, I want to start a whiskey journey. They're the things you can use to like, you know, build your XP and get, get a little bit further down that path and a little bit more confident in buying bottles or ordering at a bar to experience something different because you you're kind of somewhat aware of what it is you're going to get from that that you're going to buy yeah yeah exactly right man and yeah no that was a good point i'm glad that we put the clubs and communities a little lower, or lower. I should say, a little later <laughs> a little later yep. in the journey because de- definitely that's something i know and i'm sure i'm saying it um, for you as well where it's when we look back on our journeys, that's probably the a big thing that we would have done differently for sure is not fall prey into like, let me join this club and let me just get every single thing that's coming out. Yeah. They, they know because you're like, they surely, they know better than me. And then <laughs> no, the, the person who knows your palate best is you. So exactly. Yeah. Do it a bit later on when you know what you like. And in saying that, I want to get into drinking some, other whiskey, right? I've finished oh that more yes. like we witchy for a, a little <laughs> while now. And not only that, I'm feeling a little parched. So let's pour our next dram of the evening and let's get into it. Right, so the dram we have in our glass for this fine evening is Glen Scotia 15. And we both have it in our glass this time. We're not drinking different drams. <laughs> it's a Glen Scotia 15. It's from Campbelltown. And in Scotland, not yeah. in <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> in Scotland, not Sydney. And yeah, I think when you think about Campbelltown whiskey, I think it's often easy to forget about Glen Scotia. If you even think about it at all, like I know. Yeah. Campbelltown is a somewhat obscure region. I think for any anyone who kind of is somewhat aware of a wide range of whiskey that's out there, um, and again, if you're even a member of any kind of club community or buy whiskey regularly, you know probably Springbank is the the poster child for Campbelltown, and they sell out like crazy. They're ridiculously hard to get a hold of. But Campbelltown would be one of the the lesser known ones, but not entirely unknown. I know at least in Australia here, we've got it in some of our like regular bottle shops, at least yeah, some of the releases. Do. I haven't seen the 15 around too much. No, this is no one. it's more, you more get like the Victoriana and yeah. the other one, uh, Double or Oak. 
something like that. He's, I think it's Double Oak or Virgin Oak. Yeah. I uh, can't remember the name off the top of my head, but um, yeah, we get more of the non-age statements as opposed to just seeing the Glen Scotia 15 sitting on the shelf. But yeah, man, the nose on this is so, so good. I love it. I always, whenever I have this dream, I always forget how much I love Glen Scotia. And it's just, I'm just reminded like straight away, like, oh yeah, Glen Scotia's, that's the <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it is. It is like the more refined version of a lot of the Speyside whiskeys. Like they've got that, and I think this is, so I know there have been some issue with early drinkers trying to get into Campbelltown whiskey because a lot of them can be quite complex and they can be quite, they can be throwing quite a lot at you initially, but you know, for someone who has tried quite a few whiskeys, it's, it really hits a lot of the, the, the marks for, for what I'm after in a whiskey and yeah. not to mention it's, it's somewhat coastal. So you do get a little bit of that, um, almost like salty sea air carrying across. Yeah, you definitely do. And yeah, Bear in mind, this one sits at 46%. So it's not, it's not the highest ABV in the world. Um, you know, it's not car strength like Daniel and I no one love. Um, <laughs> but hey, you know, this whiskey, it's again, just because of how, I'd say even like price point wise, it's pretty low, right? It's in the 120s, uh, 110s. Yeah. I mean, not that that's low, but <laughs> comparatively to what we were mentioning before. Um, for what you're getting, it's just so deceptively complex. And I think just on the nose, like you mentioned, you're getting a bit of that coastal vibe. You're getting some saltiness. What I, what I think I'm getting a little more is like almost like a salted caramel. Yeah, no, for sure. Because there is a little sweetness there that's kind of underneath and it's just peeking out every now and again. The saltiness is definitely there. And there are definitely oaky spices with, yeah, that oaky, I really, really love. Like vanilla oak and like spiced fruits. But that's on the nose. Yeah. I'm, I'm jumping onto the palate. <laughs> oh, man. When I was talking before about Motlac, the wee witchy being a chewy mouth-filling dram, <laughs> man. This sends that running for the hills when it comes yeah. to chewy and mouth feeling. And, oh man, you get a, such an initial hit of salt mm-hmm. across the palate and you almost feel like, oh God, like am I gargling salt water? And then as it goes on, the sweetness comes out and yeah. it starts to kind of brush that aside and they start to play together really, really well. Then you start to get little, little hints, I think, of milk chocolate, what I'm finding. Mm-hmm. So I'm really seeing how I was getting that salted caramel on the yeah. nose, and it's almost like, man, so, so good. I mean, dare I even say, like, caramello koala. <laughs> it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really it's, good. It's, it's that really, like, almost, like, runny, but still chewy caramel. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like... You've you've hit the nail on the head for all of the tasting notes. I, I don't think I have too much more to add, <laughs> aside from just commenting on the whiskey itself. And this is kind of like where I'm jumping into what I mentioned earlier about it being a bit more of a complex dram. It's not a, this is what you get when you try it. So like this is characterized by smoke or this is characterized by yeah. 
I don't know, a honey, like, and then you try it and that's the flavor that you get for the whiskey. This takes you on a journey and it kind of transitions from one yeah. flavor into another. The salt gives way to the sweetness, which gives way to the almost like bitterness of the caramel, which then yeah. carries through again back into the sweetness. So it, it kind of like rolls through a lot of it and there's a lot going on, but there's also like when you slow down and appreciate each of them, you can really like enjoy that journey. Yeah. And I think what makes this dream really special, it does it so well. Like the flavors, they're not, they're not like fighting each other. They're not hitting up against each other. They're really just rolling off each other into mm-hmm. the next, into the next, and then into the next. It's not, it's not like brash. It's not aggressive. It's just really smooth and played out. And I, yeah, I hate using smooth, but <laughs> it is, that is what I'm getting, right? It's just really well played out and really refined. The finish is medium. I'd say I, I, I wouldn't push it into medium too long, but it's like a medium finish. Um, yeah. I, it doesn't overstay its welcome. No. It's, it like but, for what you want from yeah. it. I think it's, it's, got a, I was going to say, I was like, I don't think you'd want this one to be a long finish to be honest. Yeah. Because the flavors are so distinct and they don't necessarily, I would say they don't necessarily intersect too often. They're very mm-hmm. di- distinct and in their own right. Like I mentioned, they're rolling into each other. Like this flavor comes first, then this one, then this one, they're not combining and they're not hitting you all at once, which you yep. find with some other scotches. And, you know, it works a lot of the time. Sometimes it doesn't work. But here, having them roll out and play individually, I'm enjoying that as well. I really am. Yeah. And I don't know whether I appreciate or am annoyed by the fact that you mentioned Caramello Koala because that's all I can take. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like every sip, I'm like, but it's like salted Caramello Koala yeah. and... It's so good and I'm really enjoying it. But I'm just like, oh, I'm drinking this this whiskey that comes in a in a fancy bottle with a nice black label. It looks very elegant and sleek. And then I just see Caramello Koala face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's such a good dram. Honestly, such a really, really good dram. And it's probably not one that we had this issue with, but... You know, revisiting whiskey, like how often do you do it? You know, are, are drams worth a second chance? And this touches on something we mentioned, uh, whiskey that we mentioned a little earlier, Glenallic E15. You know, that was one that initially, if you just went off your initial expression, I mean, your initial impression of that, you probably wouldn't have it anymore. Yeah, so... <sighs> It's it's a mistake I've made constantly where I open, like I either get a new bottle. No, it's, it's it's always when I've gotten a new bottle and yeah. I open it, and I have that first pour. And you know sometimes it's the neck pour. Sometimes it comes around to maybe just the time and place that I'm at. Sometimes it's um, how I may have been experiencing it. But a lot of that like shapes it. And so for example, the Glenallachy as I mentioned, like I was very into peated whiskey and I hadn't intended to buy this whiskey. It was one that I forgot to opt out of and it came and I was like a little disappointed because that means that was money I could put towards another whiskey that I wanted to buy, not part of a whiskey club. And so I, 
that maybe that little bit of resentment was clouding yeah. my first impressions of it. Maybe yeah. that was combined with the neck pull. And my first impressions were just like, okay, this is all right. And I don't know what set it off. I don't know whether there was a tasting, whether I think as actually, no, I think you sent me a video, Brad, of someone trying it. Yeah. Cause I think at that point you, maybe I had mentioned that it, I think it was great and you'd either already sent me the video, but either way I watched the video and someone mentioned adding water to it. And so I added water to it and like straight away banana bread. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in love now. So it was almost yeah. like the second dram. Yeah. So I think a few points. One, you need to account for the neck pour for some of the whiskeys. Like some yeah. of them, your initial impressions that are not great. And I can list a bunch of them, at least like the two that come straight to my mind is the Talisker Port Re and the Suesta, which are two that the first Rams, I didn't like the Port Re and I wasn't overly impressed by the Suesta on my first tries. But coming back to them, they are exceptional. Like the yeah. Suesta is one of my all-time favorites at the moment, especially from the Australian whiskey ones, yeah. um, at least in this current point in time. And the Port Re is just like a thoroughly enjoyable Talisker. So I definitely think revisiting whiskey is worth oh, for it. Sure. For sure. Like for me, ones that I can think of straight away when it comes to like neck pour and going back to it would definitely be some rise that I've tried. Oh, yeah. I found that, and you know, why does it change? It's, you know, the oxidization as some oxygen gets into the bottle, interacts with the chemicals in the whiskey, opens it up a little bit. The, I found, I don't know, I've just found a couple of the rise that I've had. Going back to them after that, I found I love them even more. Or yeah. um, particularly one that I recently bought from Archie Rose, the Stringy Bark. My initial impressions weren't that favorable, weren't that high especially comparing it to the single malt that was aged in a similar process. Mm. Um, not as favorable, but going back to it just the other day and I thought, you know, this is actually pretty good. And some of the more smoky characteristics were starting to come out and play a little more. And I thought, okay, no, this is a good dram. And I enjoyed a little more than that initial neck pour I had. So <laughs> definitely would recommend revisiting your bottles because one, you want to see how it's changed. And not only that, you want to see how your own palate has changed as you're going on your whiskey journey. Now, before we finish this uh, dram of Glen Scotia 15, I don't know, Daniel, who do you think this is for? See, this one for me is if you were, again, if you were to buy, I, I'm i about to say this. I don't know if I've already given this as an example of who a dram would be for, but I think this fits it perfectly. If you know someone who is into whiskey and you want to buy them a whiskey as a gift, I really don't think you can go wrong with the Glen Scotia. True, I think true. it is, it's a really good whiskey and, yep. you know, we, we've, we've mentioned that it can be subjective and there can be some people who don't like it, but I think it'd be really hard to go wrong with a Glen Scotia. Yeah. hundred percent. I fully agree with you on that one. Um, I'll just add on like who I think this is for. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to get a bourbon lover to start drinking scotch, I think this could probably do it. Give him a dram of the Glen Scotia 15. It's going to have a lot of familiarity for them. You've got a lot of the oaky spices there that they're probably already really know and love, but then it's got some sweetness there. 
And then it's got a little bit of saltiness as well to combat the sweetness so it's not too overpowering. Mm -hmm. So it shows what scotch can do. And it does it in a way that is familiar to them because I find that some bourbon drinkers, they're kind of like either really open to trying different whiskey or they're just like, no, I just drink bourbon and that's all I drink. So (laughs) you, this could probably be the dram that does it, you know? I don't know. I'm just getting that vibe from it. It's just yeah, probably a really good dram to get a bourbon drinker into scotch. All right. Should we jump into our second dram? Yeah, jump in our second dram. Well, it's technically third. Technically third, but episode-wise, it's the second dram. Yeah. So we're looking at the Ardbeg Hypernova, yeah. which was the committee release um, in 2022, or at least one of them. Um, now... Anyone who is somewhat familiar with Ardbeg know they like really go all out on their marketing. And so I suppose I'll just, I'll just read a couple of sentences off the back of the bottle until I get bored, but I'll (laughs) probably give you a little bit of context around what this dram is. um, Because just calling it Hypernova doesn't really tell you much about it. So it is possibly the smokiest dram in the world. This one, at least. Hypernopa possesses a multi-magnitude never before experienced. This is a brutally smoky dram that radiates flavor in every direction. Undoubtedly, Ardbeg's smokiest spirit. So, smoky. That's, that's, that's all we're given to go <laughs> off for this bottle, for what to expect from this bottle. And, I mean... Like say less that that had me. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. That was that's pretty much all you needed to say. I mean, yep. what's the ABV on this one? So this one's sitting at fifty one percent. So not as high as some of their other, I guess, like core releases. Which yeah, that's the Ugedal that's that or... challenge, right? Like Ugdal, Cory, Ugdal's at fifty four. I'm pretty sure. Then Cory's at the fifty seven. Not as high as those two, but. ABV isn't everything. No, ABV isn't everything. Exactly. We are champions of that. We're champions of the age statement not being everything. This is a non-age statement. The other thing to note is this is kind of the next step from Supernova, which was another committee release, which was, I'm pretty sure that same idea, super smoky, super peated whiskey. And this is kind of that next step, that reimagining of the Supernova We've gone to hyperspace now and uh, I'm really curious to know what the PPM levels on this were because why I say that is because having had so many Octomols now, I've often found I enjoy Octomols that have a not as high as a PPM a little more than the ones that have the obscene PPM levels and I mean, to put into context as well, like like our palates can only experience so much. Like, yeah. There is a PPM point where it's like, it doesn't matter what it is because my palate cannot go past it's that all point. White noise. It's <laughs> yeah. all white noise from here. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, I'd be super curious to see what this was if it was like touching um, Octomore levels. Yeah, because I mean like, PPM doesn't like the peat level doesn't always equate to the amount of smoke you'd get yeah, from no, it. No. I think that's what it's really leaning on. But if I also jump in on the nose here, I don't initially get a whole lot of smoke. There's a lot going on. It's definitely a lot going on. 
but I wouldn't like smoke isn't the first note I would actually jump to. What yeah, I jump to that's interesting. would probably yeah. be um like there's sweetness along like maybe dark chocolate, a little bit of aniseed, so you're getting somewhat of a licorice note. There's almost like 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 burnt rubber too. Interesting because I find that this one actually doesn't have too much of that burnt rubber for me. I'm getting a bit more like hay bales, straw. Interesting, yeah. Um, th- those were the initial hits I got. Um, because I covered my glass as we were talking and going through because I wanted to get this one like almost just like <laughs> straight into my nose. And yeah, the nose definitely is a strong one. It's powerful. It's got a lot to it. Um, but definitely you can see some coastal aspects there. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that there are coastal aspects there. I'm getting more straw though. And hay. And just a, maybe tar as well. But yeah, like it's, yep. it's a really interesting nose. It's um very different to what I'd typically associate with Ardbeg, where it's like that campfire, that campfire smoke, a little bit of bacon, a little bit of maple, the treacle. Yeah, like, I'm not getting a lot of that. I, I held on to my empty bottle of Ugadal for so long because anytime I opened it, you just got that camp, that whiff of campfire and maybe, yeah, maple bacon cooking on top of the campfire. So I don't know how this like goes in the bottle, um, but definitely on the nose. Like, yeah, when I say burnt rubber, I'm also maybe thinking along the lines of not necessarily tar, but like, you know, when they patch up the road and you've got like yeah. those black rubbery lines yeah. in the road, like for it some does, reason that is what's in my mind. It does though. It does. Yeah. Which <laughs> I think like for lovers of Pete, you may hear that and be like, okay, yeah, that, I can see how that's good for anyone who doesn't like Pete. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I think like, the- how is that something you're getting from something you're going to be drinking? Like, are you sure you should be drinking that? <laughs> What's curious is I get a little bit of the 10 on the oh, nose okay. here. Yeah, like I, I can see some similarities between the 10 and Hypernova. It's like when I really get my nose into the glass and I'm I'm letting the initial hits of tar and hay pass. Yeah. There's like an underlying almost sweetness there. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweetness. Yeah. 100% I get. Um, so I, can, I can almost see like a little bit of the 10 in this. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's, it's probably closer to the wee beastie. Um, but yeah, that sweetness I would put along the side of like an aniseed, which I don't like licorice as a thing to eat. Um, but I really enjoy it in a whiskey. <laughs> like, yeah, good point. Yeah, Le Jake has hate, it and I, I love it in Le Jake. Well. <laughs> yeah. I hate licorice as well, but I, yeah, love the Jake. And I yeah. do like the note in whiskey. So, yes. Yeah. Strange. All right, I'm jumping onto the palate. Yeah, onto the palate. Yeah, on the mouth, it's like so similar to Wee Beastie. Mm-hmm. With such an intense, peppery feel. Yeah. Really, and the really. The sweetness is still there yeah. throughout, too. The smoke, again, I don't find the smoke, like, no, overwhelming. No, no, no. It doesn't, it, it builds, but I don't think it ever, like, consumes. <laughs> no, no, this one is more... What I'd say with this is it's more earthy peat. 
Yeah. And it's not smoke, which is typically what I'd say I'd get with like Oogdal. Mm-hmm. So for sure, yeah. For me, this is a very different representation of Ardbeg. Um because it's like at least with we beastie, you get a little bit of smoke. Mm-hmm. And like th- that Ardbeg character is there. With this one, it's like they've done they've gone in like a different direction. And they've gone for the more earthy peat. They've gone a little more. I mean, like, do I like have they gone a little more lager? Like with the earthy characteristics. Mm. I don't know. It's it's really interesting because I know you've mentioned sweetness, but for me, the sweetness comes m- much later. It's on the finish for sure. Yeah, I think like the sweetness was constantly there. Um, I I still think this is Ardbeg, like obviously yeah. it's Ardbeg, but mm. I it's like it, it's really hard to know, and I like without trying it against each other. Maybe I'm just you know selection confirmation bias, whatever it is. I'm just trying to like I'm associating it with those similar notes I've picked out in previous Ardbegs, and haven't really trying to been thinking about how it compares to other peated whiskies, but. It's definitely punchy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm not as impressed by the amount of smoke it purportedly advertised. But in saying that, when I breathe out of my nose, it feels like there is, like, like I feel like I should be able to see smoke coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I think... This is kind of one of those situations where maybe the marketing hurt it a little. Um, mm-hmm. Because then, yeah, there's no doubt. It is smoky. But I think I like the smoke in Oogdal a little more yep. than this. Um, but again, yeah, the smoke's there. It is there. But for me, it's probably more so on the finish as opposed to the nose or the palate. So yeah, the finish, the no, finish, for sure. The finish is where it comes out. And I mean, that's probably a good thing. This is a nice medium to long finish teetering towards the long for me a little more so than the medium, um, constantly gaining small little whiffs of smoke as I breathe in and out. It's nice, um, but it's not the typical Ardbeg smoke that I know and love. Um, but then there's a certain characteristics where you're like, yeah, this is an Ardbeg. It's got a bit of that pepper, which mm-hmm. is a strong note within the Wee Beastie. It's strong. It's I mean, it's there in the ten. And then it starts to trickle off as it goes into Ugdal. But then when you go into Cori, it whacks you in the mouth and goes, yeah, now nah, pepper is something we are known for. Um, but yeah, yeah super so I, interesting. I will, yeah, I will note like the end sentence on the back of the bottle says, descend into a finish that collapses in on itself before returning to earthy notes of roasted coffee and smoky heather. So you're you're right on the fact that it it's residing more in that earthy characteristic, yeah. which I find interesting. And smoky heather, like heather, is a common note used in a lot of Scotch whiskey, and I'm wondering if that's because it's a common plant in Scotland. I haven't had too much exposure to heather, so I can't really pick that out as a tasting note. But I'm I'm more reverse engineering that, like from other whiskies that have mentioned Heather. If there's a note I can't quite place, but maybe see a similarity, I'm like, okay, that's probably Heather, and I can see how this would be 
a smoky heather. So I'm thinking smoke more in the sense of like kind of incense type smoke as opposed to campfire wood type smoke, which yeah. is what I may have gone in expecting. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see where you're going with that because, yeah, but going into this one, having known what you told me, my initial mm-hmm. expectations would be Oogdal on steroids. Yeah. And it, it is not that. <laughs> no. <laughs> it is definitely not that. But it is a peat bomb for sure. There are very strong peat characteristics here. But maybe not the peat that you associate with Ardbeg, typically in your mind. Um, still really good though. I do really enjoy yeah. it. I still I, really like, enjoy I'm- it. I really enjoy this too. And I think the sticking point may come down to its price, which for sure, for sure. Um, I think was close to $300. Yeah. Close to 300 and probably a bit over that now, if it's still available. Maybe. Yeah. And like, for me, this is one, I don't necessarily know if I regret buying, but I wouldn't spend that amount of money on it again. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a really good dream, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's a really good dram. But Ardbeg make really good whiskey. Mm-hmm. That is less than half the price of this one. So that's the challenge with this dram because it is very good. All I would say is if you're not sure, like if you can see this, if you're con- contemplating buying it, I. Like I mean, it really depends on expectations. That it's a it's a Corey Vrekin and a Nukedal. Yeah, <laughs> you can go and get two exceptional hardbacks. And personally, like in hindsight, like now knowing that, I'm not saying again. I don't regret buying it. I'm very glad yeah. to have it. I'm very glad to try it, and I will enjoy every glass of this I have. But if there was a choice between buying this again or buying two Ugadals or three Wee Beasties. I'd probably go those options over this. Yeah, it's 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 so hard. It's so hard to kind of dictate like who is this for? Yeah. Because like I I don't want to shit on the whiskey because it's good whiskey. It's really really good. But putting these into context and especially being in this episode where we're talking about whiskey journeys and getting the most for your like getting the most out of your dollar and it's so hard because, again, if it's another distillery, maybe it's a bit easier because their core mm-hmm. range isn't as strong as Ardbeg's. Because yep. Ardbeg's core range is just that good that their special releases need to be that bit better. Mm-hmm. So, like they, They've put that pressure on themselves in this situation here because it's, yeah, you've got such a strong core range. If you want me to buy your special releases, they better be really, really good. And... This is really good. It's not really, really good. In my mind. <laughs> like in my mind, it's yeah. not really, really good. It's really good. And then the tipping point there is, like you mentioned, it's the price. Is this, like let's put it into context, right? Is this $200 better than Ugdal? No, no, definitely not. No, no. Like, exactly. No. It's, like, it's, it's a very easy question. Is it $200 better yeah. than Ugdal? No. Is it 100 you know, $50, $170 better than Corey Reckon? No. Is it, is it 
$250 better than Wee Beastie? <laughs> nah, it's not. It's not. That's so, Then that's the tricky part. Um, yeah. Because, again, I'd... Like I would say, if you can try this whiskey, you probably should because it's like I said, it's really good. <laughs> but putting it into context, though, should you buy this whiskey? Hey, that's where I'm having a lot of trouble with. Which which brings me to who this whiskey is for, and I yeah. think it's for people who already own it. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, oh, exactly. That's, that's probably a good one. It's, if you already own this bottle, then it's. It was made for you. Uh, yeah. Because, like, if you already own it, chances are you bought it because you're a member of the Ardbeg committee and yeah. you somewhat know what you're getting in for with them. Like, I mean, like, I know a lot of people love to crap on Ardbeg. I buy what I want to buy from them, whether it's because it sounds yeah. good, like their notes have appealed to me, or because I know Ardbeg have such a strong core range that I'm happy to occasionally buy one of their... Yeah. committee releases i've only bought two i bought scorch and this um oh three sorry i bought the eight yeah. which is something we spoke about previously we won't touch on that now but i knew what i was getting to like i made informed decisions when i purchased them so like any complaints i would keep them to myself um unless we're asking for honest opinions on the podcast but personally like i, I bought it i knew what i was getting to um I'm happy with what I got, but you know, again, if it come to buying this, like choosing to buy this again versus another one, yeah, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like, okay. Like if, if I, if I get really pressed, like who is this whiskey for? If you, maybe if you want a different experience for a mod bag, there you go. This is probably it. Like this is the different experience for ride bag. That's really good. It's not really, mm-hmm. like I said, it's not really, really good. It's a really good different experience from Ardbeg. And if you're really willing to pay what they're asking for, for this one, yeah, go for it. Um, you're not going to be disappointed. That's for sure. Um, because it's super good spirit. Um, so you're not going to be disappointed. Um, you'll it probably just have your those expectations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It probably depends say. on what you expect, but then the other side as well is, um, you know, that, that hindsight is a bitch. So when you <laughs> when you go back and you're sitting there with your bottle of hypernova and you're like, yeah, am I gonna buy this again? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, it it is a really good dram. Um, and yeah, like you said, people like to shit on Ardbeg for their own marketing, but again, if it works, it works, and more often than not, it works. And <laughs> this might be one of those situations where it may be slipped the mark just a wee bit on this one because again yeah. going into it is this the smokiest art bag ever is it you know a hypernova collapsing explosion or whatever it was that was on the back of that bottle <laughs> um no i don't think it's that <laughs> i i really don't think it's that and yeah i don't know yeah, it, again, like, I, like I've been saying this whole time, it's so hard because it's such a good whiskey. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, we want you guys to be spending your money well and not, I guess, you know, thinking yeah. it's the next thing. This is the next supernova because I know people might look at it and go, supernova is still selling for like 700, 900 bucks in the aftermarket. 
This <laughs> one's not because it's readily available. You can still get a bottle of it. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Yardbag are just kind of getting onto the after aftermarket and they want people to stop um, reselling Yardbag. So they've made sure there was a crap load of it this time around. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that another is. point as well. So all in all, if you've already got a bottle of Yardbag, yeah, it's for you. <laughs> if you've already got a bottle of this one, that's who this is for. Or if you're looking for a different experience from Ardbeg, that's probably what I'd go for. Um, but yeah, I think that about sums it up with Yardbeg Hypernova. All in all, end a really good episode. whiskey. Yeah, end this episode. All in all, a really good whiskey. But um, yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, let's 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 um let's wrap it up for today. So as usual, you can reach out to Drome Talk at drometalk.au at gmail.com or you can slide into the DMs at Drome Talk Podcast on Instagram. We would love to hear from you. You know, maybe you've already got a bottle of hypernova and you know, you think Daniel and I are really wrong on this one. Yeah, reach out, let us know. Or maybe you're a strong advocate of Glen Scotia and it's always been the dream for you. Let us know. We'd Like I said, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and, you know, it's that time of the evening, so our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. So, they are. Pour, Pour another, another dram! dram!